you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me, uh, Matthew chapter 8. And you young ladies in the back, if you don't sit up and listen to me, I'm going to come down and sit between you. Uh, I'll move you right in front of your mother so that she can watch you. Uh, yep, I'm talking to you. So I wanted to you look at verse number 10 again with me. It says, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this particular portion of Scripture. Help us now to understand a little bit more concerning your grace. And Lord, I pray that if somebody is here this morning that has not put their faith and their trust in you, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would work in them, that they would say yes to Jesus today. Father, we pray that you'd be with those that are born again, help them to understand that still this generation needs to see faith. In Jesus' name, amen. What is a veteran? I was thinking about this. To, to me, uh, a veteran would always be somebody that was actually uh, on foreign soil. That's what I always thought when I was a kid. I, I had the opportunity of growing up in McFarland, Wisconsin, and so McFarland always had the parades, you know. They had the little barbershop there. My dad would walk us down. That barbershop's still there. They had Larry's, and they had George's Supermarket, Larry's, Larry's Pharmacy. And, and I can remember thinking about these, these people that were veterans. I'd look up at them at the parade, and it seemed like the older people who struggled to march on the 4th of July were the veterans, uh, even those that would come maybe at George's toward the evening and and find the little place within the store to play cards. You know, they have a little table there. And these were the veterans. They were old guys, you know. And now I'm looking at myself and realizing that I'm a veteran. Let me find a deck of cards somewhere, right? But you look at this whole concept of a veteran. What is a veteran? Well, the Title 38 of the Code of Federal Regulations defines a veteran as a person who served in the active military, naval, or air service, and who was discharged or released under the conditions other than dishonorable. This definition explains that any individual that completed a service of any branch of the armed forces classifies as a veteran as long as they were not dishonorably discharged. Veterans Day, of course, we heard this morning, began November 11, 1919. It was always the 11th month, the 11th hour. Uh, of the day that they would celebrate, um, and they would be a, a time of quietness. And in our country today, there are 19 million veterans in the United States. That's a lot of veterans. 19 million, according to the most recent statistics in the U.S. Uh, census. More than 9 million veterans are, are served each year by the Department of the Veterans Affairs. And so the hospital is out to help 9 million of these 19 million veterans. Healthcare facilities are made up of 1,065 outpatient sites, and there are 170 VA hospital centers in the United States, 170 VA hospitals. President Donald Trump, when he was in office, began to give more money ever to the veterans. He gave $186.5 billion, not million, billion dollars to the Veterans Department. That was in the budget of 2018. This last budget, by the way, a tenth of that was given to the veterans uh, through the Biden administration. Almost 40,000 veterans are without shelter in the U.S. every single night. There's 40,000 veterans that don't have a home. Uh, the number of vets experiencing homelessness is down somewhat, though, since 2011, and I contribute that to the giving 
uh, of the last administration in 2008, giving that much money to the veterans. I know that we're trying to do some things here. Uh, I was at the uh, at uh, Texas Roadhouse on on Thursday night. I was able to get Thursday afternoon. I was able to get a meal there, and there was a trailer out front was talking about the homelessness um, even in our own city regarding those that were veterans. And the leading causes of homelessness among the vets is PTSD. We know that. But also it's social isolation. A lot of times veterans go home. They don't want to be talked to. They don't want to, they, they have a problem with being employed. And so the unemployment is part of it. Um, but also a substance abuse is an issue with veterans. A lot of times they want to drain, if they can, their thoughts and kind of um, cause their hearts to be um, at ease. I noticed the men were shaking up here, and I'm shaking now. It's, sometimes you have this tendency to be uh, a little bit, um, the nerves seem to be messed with at times. I know that uh, if you're talking to a veteran that struggles, um, sometimes it's the sleeping issue that is there. Uh, I know when I came back from Lebanon, I had some troubles, and they went to the hospital and sought some help because I had trouble sleeping at night. When a door was slammed, I would stand up. I, my bride, who's here now today, uh, you could talk to her in those early years. I would have dreams, and sometimes I still have those dreams. I call them hauntings of things. And So you don't know really what the veterans go through, but the veterans really account for 11% uh, of the homeless in the United States. 11% of the veterans are, of the homeless men are veterans. Um, I think it's about the same amount of percentage in the jail. I think 11%, 9 to 11%, of the men that are in jail are, are veterans. And so we are very fortunate in Dane County. We have uh, a pod just for those that were veterans. They wear different clothing than the average inmate does because we still honor them. Uh, they have more privileges as a vet. They can have coffee and so on. And so, um, but California is the highest number of vets living on the streets. In California, I think sometimes they've gone there to find uh, the, the better weather. There are some veterans who seem to be content without being noticed, and there are disabled veterans who do need care, and we notice them, of course. There are decorated veterans who have had books written about them or movies made of their bravery, and so we have modern-day veterans that have written, like Tim Lee. I hope to be able to have him here, and he can tell his story and meet you folks someday. But, uh, if, by the way, these books will be on sale. They are going to be in the back uh, in our little resource center that we have. I think it's important for you to have those things. Um, but I think King David really was a veteran. If you look at the scriptures, you can see that he was dealt wisely concerning his past. And then he must have seen some horrible things. But he was relying upon the God of heaven. Um, many of the Psalms were written in tears and difficulties that he went through, not just with his family, but probably some of the things that he had, his own sin, but also thought, things that he had seen. Jonathan, King Saul's son, was a soldier. Um, he had an armor bearer. And in 1 Samuel chapter 14, we remember in that particular portion of Scripture, um, Jonathan was able to climb up a cliff and take care of uh, several Philistines. I think there was 20 men in the space of about a half an acre, about as big as this property is with the driveway and the building all the way to Buckeye is about maybe a half an acre. And on that particular land with sword and his armor bearer, Jonathan was able to slay 20 Philistines. He had an incredible amount of strength. And we look at him as being uh, a veteran, if you would, and someday we'll be able to see him and hear the stories. We hear stories of those who have gone beyond the call of duty. 
And uh, I think that sometimes we look at those that have gone beyond the call of duty in a physical realm, but there are those that have gone beyond the call of duty in the spiritual realm. There are those that have decided that they were going to serve the Lord, that they were going to enter into a different army. It was going to be this army between dark and light, uh, or, or night and day, if you would, or good and evil. And there was those that were going to go into that fight. There was many have prepared for it. And I think that the pastors and the missionaries and the evangelists that are around the world today have said, I'm going to go and I'm going to enter this spiritual war. But I'm going to also go beyond, really, the, the line of duty. And I'm going to do more than I need to do, perhaps. I want to do a little bit more. I want to do a better job. And this war uh, is seen by those who have a biblical view uh, of life. You look through the lens of the Bible, but there are those that have a humanistic view of everything, and so they don't have the understanding that we have concerning the Bible and concerning the words of Jesus Christ. They're very special to the believer, and so we have this understanding. I think Exodus chapter 32, verse 26 says, that then Moses stood in the gate of the camp, and he said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. I think about how that the Christians, we are reminded of the duties that the Scriptures give to us. What is my duty? What, is, what am I supposed to do? I think that's really uh, clear in Micah chapter 6, verse number 8. It says, And he has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Ecclesiastes gives us an understanding in Ecclesiastes 12, verse number 13, the last chapter of Ecclesiastes. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The Bible says in Romans chapter 13, verse number 13, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering, it's the old English word for living together before you're married. Not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy. So it's interesting as we look at this because the Bible gives us clear instruction. But let me tell you this, dear friend, no matter how good you try to be good, you'll never be able to be good enough to get to heaven. And God knew that. That's why he sent Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to pay our hell for us. He came and he was beaten Beyond recognition, they hung him on a cross 2,000 years ago. People try to make movies about it. I think that uh, one, of the, one of the most recent movies, um, I, I forget what it's called, but I think one of the Hollywood men decided that he was going to make this movie of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and make it as real as possible. Why is it that he had such trouble? Why did he struggle so much? And I really believe that the forces of Satan were trying to keep him back from really uh, enlightening people to what Jesus Christ went through. Jesus suffered horribly, not only physically, but also spiritually. He, he, he suffered emotionally. He suffered so much as we think about what he did so many years ago. And how will we ever go beyond the call of duty if we don't know what the duty is? And if we don't accept the duty, and I just want to give you some things to think about is this particular story, because this individual really was a serviceman, if you would, that we read about this morning. It's called the centurion. And uh, verse number five, it says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. And so this man came with eagerness in mind. He was a military man uh, coming to the Lord Jesus um, and, and knew that this was Christ. And so we see the military's man appeal 
is examined. So let's examine his appeal for just a moment this morning. And I'll be quick, by the way. I want to finish in seven minutes because we have baptism this morning. We have three getting baptized today. And so following the Lord and believers' baptism. But this man was located in Capernaum. And so this is really the place of his duty. It's the village of Nahum is what it was. And he was on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it was the land of Gennesaret. We know that by location as far as uh, geographically. And it, it was a sufficient size to be called a city because it was known as the city of Capernaum. Uh, and it, its own synagogue there, and the Lord frequently taught there in that synagogue. It was a place of customs where the people would come and pay their taxes. It was a beautiful setting, if you would, the city. If we were to go and travel there, anything around the Sea of Galilee is beautiful, if we were to see that today. This was also known as their garrison. The garrison was a place where we would go. Um, we had the sea bees that were along the shore in Lebanon, in Beirut, and I would refer to that as the garrison. I could go down and I could get whatever I wanted uh, down from those men. Those men were able to get us everything, and, and they would, if we needed something, we would write it on a piece of paper, and the CBs would get it for the Marines. Anything we needed, they would get for us. It was amazing that that garrison, if we needed more ammunition, when I was in Lebanon, of course, we were part of a peacekeeping force, and so we couldn't keep any, any shells in our weapon. We, we were able to uh, uh, go to the garrison, though, and get um, if we wanted uh, cheese, if we wanted bread, if we wanted ammunition or whatever, we go there. So the position of service here, he was a centurion. This is really a Roman, Roman military officer, uh, this individual. So he's not a Jew who had uh, the command of a hundred men. So he was an officer, if you would. You probably have seen uh, movies where their officers were there. Some of the World War II uh, films. When I was in Lebanon, well, I got to see many officers. I was able to travel and drive the, the officers around. I, I drove Captain Martin around quite a few times. I got to see um, uh, the men that were there um, and, and working with different types of communication and got to see some of the officers, and some of them didn't wear their insignias because the snipers could get them uh, first, of course, and of course you take the head out, and, and then the grunts wouldn't know what to do. Uh, but this particular man was an officer, and, and the problem of concern was that he, his servant was sick. Look at the Bible, if you would, with me, saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. This particular man sought Jesus because he knew that Jesus could help him. He was an officer in the military, but he knew that his servant was grievously tormented. He was tormented excessively, if you would, going through a difficult thing. Um, and the palsy, of course, in, in this instance, was probably a case of progressive paralysis. And maybe that has happened to somebody that you know. They begin to slur in their speech a little bit. I remember having um, Lee... Lee was with us for quite a, quite a while, and uh, Lee Blanchard, and you may remember him, uh, but I remember him coming to my office, and he had a little bit of a slur in his speech and couldn't understand what he was saying and didn't take him too long, and, and uh, we couldn't understand him at all, and he just would not speak, and I knew that it wouldn't take too long, and, and he wouldn't be able to even breathe, and sure enough, that took him down during the COVID, and uh, they probably put COVID on his death, but he died of Lou Gehrig's disease, and that's what killed him. And in such a case, there would be symptoms inactive uh, in great distress within the person, as well as is danger of their life, which you can imagine what this particular officer was going through because he had one of his best servants were hurting. What a compassionate man. 
that he would actually go out into the streets and try to find Jesus to help. And so I think the military man's attitude should be expressed in here. Look what it says in verse number 7. Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. And the satyrian answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak a word, and my servants shall be healed. And I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and this man goes, and to another, come, and this man comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. It's amazing because this man expressed his attitude as Jesus listened to him. And how about your attitude today? Is it okay? Is it humble like this man? I think whether you're in charge of people or whether you're not, you ought to have a humble spirit. This man was so successful, I believe, because of his humility, his personal unworthiness to even go to Jesus. He was a Gentile, and he felt filthy because he was told he was. The highest lesson, by the way, um, a, a believer has to learn is humility. Andrew Murray said this, Oh, that every Christian who seeks to advance in the holy life may remember this well. There may be intense consecration and fervent zeal and heavenly experience, and yet, if it is not prevented by very special dealings with the Lord, there may be an unconscious self-exaltation with all that you speak to. So let us learn a lesson, he writes. The highest lesson in the holy life is the deepest humility. And let us remember that it comes not of itself, but only as it is made a matter of special dealings on the part of our faithful Lord and His faithful servants. The Lord actually shows us an understanding that humility is needed during a time of trouble. And let me tell you something, friend. Pride comes in, and remember this, that only contention just travels one road. If you want to know why there's so much contention in our world today, it's because of pride. It's because of our own pride. We have contention. You say, well, I'm not going to listen to that person. I'm not going to be able to deal with that individual. It's because of our own pride. If we're not careful, we ought to be humble people that say, listen, I can work through this difficulty, and I will do all I can do to humble my heart. This was this kind of officer that was here. What a man. Humility is thinking, and, and really, uh, it's not really thinking of, of a person. Really, it's, not, it's, it's really not thinking of yourself at all. Humility isn't thinking meanly of oneself. It isn't thinking of self at all. And the truly humble man doesn't know he is humble. Moses wist not that his face shone. As he stood before God, he began to come down from the mountain, and he had a glow about him. He didn't walk around like he was prideful. I think about this man's authority. He acknowledged the authority over him, but he also his own authority over others. And this man was able to receive orders and to give orders. Sometimes good leaders make poor people. And sometimes it's important for us to just to set back a little bit and understand that if God gives us a position of authority and we're taking orders from somebody, that we ought to be careful because we're probably going to be giving orders too to people. I think about how that I worked for the Postal Service when I first got out of the Marine Corps and they put me in over 52 mail carriers and I... I had a lady that was my, my boss there. She was the postmaster, and so I had her over me. But then I had other men that were underneath me. But I had to remember to stay humble, and every single action that I did I was being watched. And even though I was young, and even though I was pretty naive, I think I was 22 or 23 at the time, I did the best I could to work harder than any of those men that were there. Because I don't think anybody's beneath work. 
I think that if you're going to be able to accomplish anything, it's going to take hard work. Prideful people don't want to work. Prideful people want to say, well, I just want to put five hours and that's all. Hey, follow me, man. I'll show you how you don't have to work. Let me tell you something, dear friend. I believe God loves work. I believe this officer was a man of work. He was a man of authority. He also had love because he cared enough to go beyond the call of duty. He sought no favor for himself. He had a large heart and was full of compassion. When you place authority and compassion together, then you can make a difference in society. Take your authority that God's given to you. Wrap it in God's love. Stay humble. God will bless you. You'll see. Even in the workplace, they'll raise you up. I think about how that he had faith. His testimony was expressed to the followers of Jesus, and Jesus used him as an example. And in closing this morning, I just wanted you to think about this thought. The military's man account of, uh, explained, and his, his account explained. Look with me, if you would, at the lat- latter part of verse number 9. It talks about how I do this as he does. Look at verse number 10. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto this, on him that followed. Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom, the kingdom of this world, shall out in outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way. As thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. His servant was healed the selfsame hour. So I think it's important for us to understand that Jesus used this opportunity to talk about the kingdom of heaven, and we should too. Every chance you get, you should talk about the wonders of heaven. What a, what a glorious place that is going to be. I was talking to a doctor this week, and I wanted to make sure I somehow weave the Lord Jesus Christ into the conversation. How am I going to do this, man? Whether they like it or not, they, you know, you, you, you're paying to see a doctor, man. You, gotta, you, gotta, you can tell them whatever you want. They're, they're taking your money, so they'll listen to you. And so I took the time and talked about how that there is a heaven, and I told them I desire truth. There is the truth about heaven. Maybe you want the truth about heaven. Let me tell you something right now. There is a place called heaven. And it's a wonderful, wonderful place. It's in the skies. Uh, We know that the streets are gold. We know that there's mansions there. Rooms, if you would, beautiful rooms that the Lord has made. I think uh, what's interesting about this particular portion of Scripture is that we're talking about men of every description are going to be in heaven. Men of every description, men of every race, many, men of every nation or nationality, if you would. Men of every tongue and every tribe, because Revelation tells us in verse number 6 of chapter 14, And I saw another angel fly and in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Revelation 5, verse number 9 says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take a book, take the book, and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, talking about Jesus Christ, and hast redeemed us to God through thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And so we understand what Jesus Christ has done. He has done, he has done uh, and finished what it would cost for us to go to heaven. You can't pay the price, friend. You couldn't be good from now on and all the way to the, you could be perfect all the way till you die right now. It still wouldn't be enough. 
Jesus Christ did that. His righteousness is applied to you. He declares you righteous. His righteousness is imputed unto you through Jesus Christ. You don't have to, you don't have to go to church and do all kinds of things to be saved. You can be saved today through the blood of Jesus Christ. You come to him and say, I know I'm a sinner. I need Jesus Christ. He's my only way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Whosoever believeth this, by the way, shall never die. Huh? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not maybe, hopefully, but shall be saved. Have you called upon him? Have you said the word simply, Lord, I'm a sinner? I listened just recently, I heard uh, Franklin Graham on Fox News, of all things, give the gospel. Yeah. You know, like him or not. I praise the Lord lifting up Jesus Christ on Fox News. At least somebody's doing something. So there's going to be a meeting in the air someday, a banquet that we, we can't even explain it. Sometimes I see these pictures that are made with a table of no end, and seats with no end, and it says the Mary's Supper of the Lamb. A table set for you and for me. You see, they tried to explain it in the book of Proverbs. Let me just read a few verses for you. Wisdom hath builded her house, she hath hewn out her seven pillars. She hath killed her beasts, and she hath mingled her wine, and hath also furnished her table. She hath set forth her maidens, and she cries upon high places of the city, Whosoever is simple, let him turn in thither. As for him that wants understanding, she saith to him, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish, and live, and go in the way of understanding. What a beautiful picture the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Jesus is saying to you, come. The Bible says really clearly, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Jesus Christ said that. Matthew 19, verse number 14 says, but Jesus said, suffer the little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. What are, you, what are you looking for in this world? You'll never find peace. You'll never find joy, but you will at the feet of Jesus. Amen. Jesus used that opportunity to be able to explain and answer questions also about hell. What a horrible, horrible place. What a contrast. He talked about the beautiful city. He talked about the kingdom where they'll sit down with Abraham and Isaac in, in the kingdom of heaven. But he also talked about the kingdom of this world. If this is all you have, remember the old thing, get all the gusto you can, get you all you can out of this life. That was an old saying years ago. Listen to me, friend. This isn't all of it. Maybe you get 80 years, maybe. If you're blessed, you get 90. Maybe you'll go up to 100. I don't know. I did a funeral of a man, a Vietnam veteran, this last month, 72 years old. Man, he had so many dreams and anticipations and, and expectations, if you would. And then at 72, he got so weak. He's got a, some kind of a fungus or some kind of a, a sickness on his heart, and they gave him antibiotics, and the antibiotics wouldn't work anymore, and he ended up passing. But I know this, that at the age of seven, he's, he, he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. I really believe that I'll see him someday in heaven, not because of his own deeds, but because of the deed of Jesus Christ cross of Calvary. Those who believe and trust Jesus enter the light, but those who reject him are going to enter utter darkness. 
And those who believe and trust in Jesus enter into his love. But those who reject him will find themselves with those that hate. And those who believe and trust in Jesus enter eternal life. However, those who reject Jesus will find eternal death and hell. Don't reject Jesus Christ. The verse number 13 really is the key verse in all of this. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way. And as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in that same hour. Jude tells us in verse number 22, it says, And some having compassion, making a difference, and others safe with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And so as we walk away from another Veterans Day, I hope that you would look at this veteran and understand that he went beyond the line of duty. He could have just stayed home, but he went out and he sought Jesus. And Jesus said, I'll come. How hospitable Jesus was. I'll come to your house. I'll heal him. And he said, no, 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 no. All you got to do is say the words. Do you believe that Jesus, all you got to do is say the words and Jesus will heal you? Do you have that belief today? He can. Let me tell you, the greatest difficulty is yourself and your own sin because you think you have to pay for it. You don't have to. Stop beating yourself up. Take your sin to Jesus. Cry at his feet and he will save you. Not just for a little while. He'll save you forever. Have you come to Jesus? I hope you have. Every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I needed that this morning. I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. I know who Jesus is because I've heard of him through the years. I know that he died on a cross for my sins. My mom and dad told me that. But maybe you've never said, dear Jesus, come into my heart and save me. Well, today would be the day of salvation. And maybe this morning you would say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? I need Jesus in my heart. Would you pray for me? I won't point you out. Just lift up your hand and put it back down again. Pray for me because I need Jesus this morning. Is there anyone? Is there anyone? Then, Christian, this message was for you. Why don't you come and thank the Lord this morning? Just come to an old-fashioned altar. Renew your heart with him. He's listening to you. He wants fellowship with you. Maybe it's for baptism. Maybe it's to join our church. Why don't you come this morning? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you stand to your feet? No one looking around. Let's have an invitation. Father, I pray that you would work in this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.